Brooklyn's Radio. Loving music. Hi, my name's Roger McCormick, and I'd like to share with you a very interesting chat I had recently with uh, a guy from the music industry who may not be a household name, but uh, he has played with some of the greats uh, of our musical time. His name is Phil Palmer. He's a top guitarist. Uh, he started life in the music industry as a session man, and uh, i.e. playing in, re- in recordings of uh, albums and so on by uh, some, of the, some of the great artists over the last 50 years. And then he sort of went on, progressed from there to being a, a regular band member uh, for people like uh, Eric Clapton and Dire Straits and uh, Tina Turner. He's played with so many, it's almost easy to leave out the people he's not uh, played with. So if I was to read out some of the famous guys he knows, uh, Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney, Phil Collins, the Dire Straits Band with Mark Knopfler, Tina Turner, Krista Berg, David Essex, George Michael, it's a very long list. Uh, and he sounds like this because uh, some of the, uh, the the gigs that he played on have been recorded uh, as live albums by uh, the Headline Acts. And this is uh, an excerpt from uh, an Eric Clapton album called uh, 24 Nights, uh, recorded at a series of concerts he gave at the Albert Hall. And uh, Phil is with uh, Eric on this track, Bad Love. Bad Love by Eric Clapton, just a taste of it, of course, just a taste of the kind of music that my guest Phil Palmer was making live on stage with some of the great acts of the last 50 years. That was an Eric Clapton track. Anyway, here's Phil Palmer talking to me. Phil, thank you very much for joining us today on Brooklyn's Radio. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's lovely to be back in, in England for a while. I spend most of my life in, in Italy these days, in Rome. Well, not, not exactly a hardship posting, then. Well, no, it's, it's, it's quite nice to be there. <laughs> Wonderful. A lot of your music uh, career has featured Italian musicians, I think so. And I think you're with a, um, an Italian lady. Uh, you're married to an Italian lady, aren't you? I'm, I'm married to an Italian lady called Numa. Yeah. And she's also an artist. And um, we collaborate on various things. We write songs together and uh, we live in Rome. Wow. Which is glorious. Wonderful. I am very envious on so many different counts, including that one. Well, <laughs> I've been reading your book, Session Man, uh, which uh, has been published on Kindle for maybe a couple of years, but it's going to come out in uh, in physical form fairly soon, I believe. And I think you can get it on, on your website anyway. And yes. it, is, it is a fascinating story. It, in a way, the, the title Session Man doesn't really do you justice because it, it understates your career. Because although you were in demand as a session man in your early 20s with some big, big names, even then, people like David Bowie and so on, uh, that quickly led on to being in demand on stage as part of, uh, I suppose you call it, the travelling band with um, legends of our musical lifetime like Eric Clapton, Dire Straits, Tina Turner. Yes. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yes. Um, well, it was back in the day, if, if I can jump in. It's, yeah. Um, Seven, 1973 I started doing sessions so this is really my, my 50th anniversary of doing it and um, 
in the early days of doing sessions, I mean, at the time, um, studio time was very expensive because it was a new kind of genre in a way. And um, people required uh, players that could come in and, and play a part and contribute something to a, to a recording. Uh, and they were called session, session guys. And so I thought that sounds like a great idea. And in the early days, I was uh, associated with my uncle's uh, recording studios, which was called Conk, and it was owned by Ray and Dave Davis of the Kinks. Who are your and uncles? To, yeah, my uncles, yeah. And so I used to sit at the back of the control room just watching what was going on, fascinated by, you know, the four guys sitting in a room creating a piece of music. I thought, this is amazing. And so I, that, that was the start for me. And the first session I did was at Conk Studios in 1973 for an artist called Claire Hamill. Yeah. And it went from there. And it, it proceeded at great pace, didn't it? Because it, it really wasn't very long at all before you were... Uh, it, obviously, your reputation must have spread very, very fast because you're in demand from some very big names from, from a very young age. Well, it was like that. I mean, sessions were strange in those days. A session was three hours, and um, you would get booked. And you could, I could do back in those days three or even four sessions a day for different artists in different studios. And um, so you, you got good at sort of walking into a room and, and and sort of figuring out what they were up to and trying to understand what direction musically they wanted to go in. And it was amazing grounding for uh, for future, you know, because you you never knew what you were walking into, and you either had to bluff, or which I did quite often in the early days, or or just just be able to to play any kind of music at, at will, you know. And, and uh, particularly clever, if I can put it that way, given that you didn't read music, but you developed your own style of uh, sort of mapping out. Um, what you were going to have to play. You, I, don't, I don't know how you did that, but you, you had a sort of alternative way of yes. uh, getting the music on paper. Yes, and um, there was a bit of a trick, really. Um, it was a chord chart. I mean, if you just imagine, you know, to predict the chords yeah. that were coming so you could you could follow a chord chart without without any dots or anything like that. And little squiggles and, and, and signals for myself to understand what was coming next. But that was a great way to learn the um, the tune, um, and 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 of course your your instrument being the guitar puts you in the frame for, well, before too long for for people like uh, Eric Clapton and uh, you apart from accompanying great vocalists like uh, David Essex and, and David Bowie, you yeah. you found yourself as it were alongside guitar heroes and being obviously compared at least by the musicians themselves uh, with what they were doing and that that must have been quite something I think being a session player you have to be um, you have to be careful um, especially working with other guitar players um, and I think that's one of the reasons I was able to work with, with people like Eric and, uh, and Mark Loeffler is that I understood when not to play <laughs> yes um, yes and, and that's such a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we... I, I, I just an aside. That I think many uh, music fans uh, don't really appreciate the contribution that both the producer and the session players put into a recording. It's uh, They don't just sort of go in there and play what they're told to play. They, they actually 
put in quite a creative contribution in many cases and um, they don't always get the credit for it do they not always um it's it was part of the gig you know you, you got a session fee for doing it in the first place but you were if you were good and, and you were clever you would contribute something so that um you know the, the producer would ask you back or the artist would ask you back to do more yes and and that's that's a part of the game really that was part of the game yes. i mean for example uh, in the early days I, I i did an album with uh Christa Berg. And I've, since that day, um, we, we hit it off. I've, I've played on 19 albums for Christopher. That's for incredible. Um, so, you know, if you if you create that kind of nice atmosphere between yourself and the artist or the producer, then it, it tends to do you favours later on. Yeah, and, it, and you are on his, probably, I guess, his most famous song, Lady in Red. That's you playing the guitar on that. It is, yeah. Yeah. Well... Um, staying with the guitar heroes for the, for, for now, because um, I'm such a guitar hero fan. <laughs> if we move forward to, I suppose the the end of the eighties, beginning of the nineties, around the time of Eric Clapton's Journeyman album, uh, one of his best ever albums, I think. Um, you played on the track "Bad Love," which was a big hit single, apart from being a big uh, track on the album, and that sort of led on to you being in his touring band, didn't it? And you did a really a worldwide tour with Eric. Yep, for a couple of years, two and a half years it was with Eric. That's um, fantastic. It uh, was, uh, yeah, I think I'd, I'd bumped into Eric. At a, at a, in fact, he'd come to see me play at um, a, a little club called The Mean Fiddler in Harsden when I was working with an artist called Paul Brady. So that was the first time I'd met Eric, and um, then I bumped into him again in Antigua whilst I was on holiday. And during the second meeting, uh, he, he invited me to, um, to to the studio to, to play on a, a track or two. And I think he just wanted to check that I was the right man for the job uh, because it was a kind of audition. I mean, I think he knew I could play because he'd already seen me. Yeah. Um, but I think socially he was interested in what, what goes on. It's a big part of touring. You've got to you've got to be able to integrate with uh, the people that you're working with. And there, there are lot, lots of great stories about how you integrated with the various different uh, um, stars that you played with. But uh, there's some lovely stories about, about Eric. Um, I think one of my favourites is, is um, you, you'll immediately recognise it with the phrase "Take it away, Phil." <laughs> can, <laughs> can you tell us tell us about that? Yeah, um, that was at Nebworth in 1990, the Nebworth uh, Silver Clef charity event, which was amazing. It was a weekend of, and pretty much, you know, I, they, these sort of gigs don't happen anymore, but everyone was there. Um, I think Pink Floyd and um, uh, Paul McCartney, Tears for Fears, Eric Claps and Dire Straits. Yeah, the list just goes on. It was, yeah. And everybody did their, their thing over the weekend. But um, during Eric's set, um, during a song called Before You Accuse Me, halfway through the first solo, Eric broke a string. And um, we got to the second solo and he, he turned around and he said, take it. And it was probably the first time I played a solo in that song. Uh, and it was, it was, I got away with it, really. I suppose. <laughs> well, yes, got away with taking Eric Clapton's part live on stage in front of thousands of people. That's uh, well, quite something. The, com the complication of that moment was that um, later on during Eric's set, Mark Muffler was due to come on and, and play a few Dire Straits songs. 
And so Mark was standing over to the right-hand side of the stage. And Eric went off to change his guitar. I'm in the middle of the guitar solo. I glanced over to my right. And I'm looking at Eric Clapton and Mark Knopfler chatting, watching me play, yeah. which was a little bit intimidating. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, the 120,000 people in the audience, I didn't mind at all. And also the, you know, the 12 million people watching on TV. It was just, you know, that little intimidating moment with yeah. Mark and just and just a touch now you you, you appear on the uh, live album that eric brought out some years ago called 24 nights which uh, is a fascinating live album because it features the different formats of his concerts at the yeah. albert hall at that time and yeah. uh, in the format which was the uh, was it the seven piece no the nine piece band a yes. lineup that includes um, apart from you and eric uh, greg phil and gaines chuck Levell, nathan east the legendary bass guitar Player, Steve Ferrone, Ray Cooper, and the two uh, backing vocalists, Katie Kassoon and Tessa Niles. That's, that is a star-studded lineup. They are right in the middle of it. And your dad, I think, is in the audience. I don't know if it was that particular concert. But he, your dad had not always seen eye-to-eye eye with you on what he used to call this music lark. But, <laughs> but, but I, I seem to remember there was a lovely occasion when he was there and you talked to him after the show. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, yeah, Dad was not too keen on me being a musician, and we fell out when I was about 19. Um, and uh, we didn't really see eye to eye for a good 10, 12, 15 years after that. And and so Eric had organised the orchestral nights at, at the Albert Hall, and I thought that this was a perfect moment to sort of make up with Dad and invite him down. So I sent I sent a, a limousine for them to, to pick them up, yeah, my mum and dad and they came down we had a, a box for them that they're at the Albert Hall and a bottle of champagne and uh, I could see them quite clearly during the gig and um, they were obviously enjoying it and they came back after the show and um, it, was a, it was a very emotional uh, moment with my dad because he uh, was obviously very proud um, and, and showed it for the first time basically yeah what a wonderful thing now um Time is short uh, for us today, although we'll have longer uh, to chat later in the month. But um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to spend another 20 minutes talking about your touring with Dire Straits, but we'll save that for another time. But that does bring us into Dire Straits' legacy, uh, which um, is, to call it a tribute band, really doesn't do it justice. It's, uh, it involves so many people who actually were in Dire Straits. <laughs> Uh, as well yes, as as well as not great a stars, band to yeah. die straight. It's a tribute to Mark Knopfler, if anything. Yes, yeah, uh, that's that's very much still alive. And um, your, your touring plans last year were cut short by COVID and all the rest of it. But you are still touring again later this year. Yes, we have. Um, I think there's thirty dates in South America coming up in um, May, um, and then we have some European dates later in the year. I think starting in Italy, but I'm not sure exactly where yet. And uh, that and the lineup there again, although it, it, people come in and out a little bit, but there are some wonderful musicians in that band, uh, including people who've played with the Dire Straits tour. Yeah, um, aside from the, the founder, the, the original Dire Straits members, we had Steve Ferroni for a while, um, just because he's the best drummer in the world, basically. <laughs> the, the great thing about Dice Legacy is the music. I mean, uh, the music of Mark Knopfler is so strong. 
and it's so great to play. Yeah, and yeah. it's so well received still. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that uh, it's you know we just enjoy doing it. Everybody enjoys doing it, and so consequently, when everybody is free and not doing other stuff, we we are oversubscribed for for, for members, uh, and so we're able to uh, to pick and choose depending on who's who's around and who's available. Fantastic. But, uh, the next bit will be with John Giblin on bass, who's an old friend, and um, and Jack Sonny is coming back for a while, um, and Alan Clark, of course, and Mel Collins, and myself. So that's five original Die Straits members. Fantastic. That's one not to miss. But another one not to miss is much sooner, coming up uh, Tuesday this week. Uh, in Camden Town, um, you have a, a gig uh, under your own name. It's not really a gig, it's an evening with. Um, okay. I will play something. Um, there will be an amp set up and, and the guitars and stuff like that. But it's a chat, really, and, and we're going to show a few films and uh, a few videos and talk about the book. It's about the book, really. Session Man by Phil Palmer. It's, and where's the gig? Sorry, the, the event, I should say. The event is at uh, the Camden Club, which is Chalk Farm Road, I think opposite the, uh, the Roundhouse. Wow. Well, that's one not to miss. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, uh, Phil, and uh, the best of luck with your future plans. And uh, I do recommend uh, anyone interested in music uh, does get a copy of that book by Phil Palmer, Session Man. It's fascinating. Real insight into our musical times. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Roger. Phil Palmer, what a fascinating career he's had. And just to close out this uh, little um, interview session, I'm going to play you a track... uh, from a live Die Straits album, from the album On the Night, and it's the sound I heard when I went to see them at Earl's Court uh, all those years ago. The song that opened their performance, a real wall of sound touch, and Phil Palmer is there in the mix. It's Calling Elvis. Radio. Loving music.